0: Kids, you are dismissed to go to Gospel Project. Thank you, teachers, for your investment in them. And you all have a really great time together. Happy New Year. Year. Thrilled that you're here today. And uh, today's a kind of a bridge week between uh, our series of December when we looked at Jesus in the Psalms and had a really great time together exploring how many of the Psalms point forward to and explicitly talk about Jesus. Next week, we're going to start um, a new uh, series called Understanding Wisdom, and we'll be looking at the book of Proverbs together. So if that's not a book you've read recently, you might start on it uh, this week in preparation for next week. Today, though, please turn to me to Psalm uh, 19. Psalm 19. The start of the new year is uh, an ideal time, of course, to reflect a little bit on the previous year and make plans for the upcoming year. I hope that you had a good Christmas and New Year's. We were in Oklahoma and had both ice and earthquakes. Very glad to be back here where the sun actually works. It's not broken and it's visible. You didn't see the sun the entire time. Had a great time. And there is an orange rolling on the ground up here. That's your orange. Awesome. Would anyone like an orange? Come quickly. (laughs) When you think about this year, 2016, what do you personally see as the most significant need that you have? The very most important thing that you need in 2016. What about us as a church family? What is our, our collective or our corporate greatest need? Our greatest need is not uh, better health or more money. It's not a spouse or a promotion. It's not a nicer building or a nicer house or a new wardrobe. Our greatest, most essential need is not more time or better behaved kids or a new diet or new graduate school. Far and away, the greatest, most prominent, most significant need you and I have is to hear God. It's to be people who hear the voice of God and respond to that voice. It's to hear God in the context of a vibrant, growing, wonderful, personal relationship with Him. There's a lot of sneezing going on. Cover yourself. The greatest need is a Kleenex. The most paramount issue in 2016 is not who will become President of the United States, It's not will you get pregnant after trying all of these years. It's not what grade you'll get in chemistry. The greatest, most prominent issue is, will we be a people who hear God and respond? Now, I'm not mainly referring to hearing God in those really humongous decisions that we make a few times in life. Those are important, but they actually don't amass Most of what you're going to become. Much more determinative are the little things, those little moments in life when we need to hear from God. Will we be people this year that only hear from God? Will we be people that hear Him speaking often and clearly? Well, all of that, of course, raises the question, how do we hear from God? How do we be people who hear what God says and know the difference between Our own voice, our cultural things that we hear, people that we hear versus God. How do we hear from God? Psalm 19 tells us. And so today I thought we'd start the new year together considering what it says. C.S. Lewis was, of course, a prolific author and is often still read and quoted today. He said of Psalm 19, this is the greatest poem in all the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's quite a statement. Let's see what Psalm 19 tells us about hearing God. Verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Friends, if we want to be people who hear from God this year, then we've got to listen to creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says very clearly that the physical world itself tells us about God. Tells us that there's a creator Have you ever been out at night away from the city and glanced up at the sky? It's breathtaking, isn't it? Or have you stood by the ocean and considered its vastness? You can't even see the other side, the other end, the other uh, shores. Have you peered into the Grand Canyon or gone on a hike in Sedona? Have you ever driven through the Rocky Mountains in the winter? There's this weird stuff there. It's white. It's very cold. called snow. It's beautiful, isn't it? Why is it that nature is so breathtaking to us? Well, in one sense, it's of course that it's simply beautiful in and of itself. But beyond that, there's something more at work. And that something more, the Bible tells us, is that the created world itself testifies or declares that God is a glorious God. Creation is majestic from the seemingly endless distance of space, to holding a little ladybug. Creation is captivating. It's simply amazing. It tells us about God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And as this psalm goes on, it goes on to describe for us how that works or what the testimony of the Creator is in the creation. Look at verse two. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. This is telling us that the creature, the the creator's voice in scripture is continuous. It's not as though God made the world and spun it on its axis and then let it go its own way and now it just goes by its own force. That's deism, it's not Christianity. Christianity says that God continues to speak through what he's made because he continues to cause it to do what it does. Christians believe creation is actively maintained and sustained by God, through which God is continually making himself known. Friends, the world's not here by freak accident. It's not here by random chance. It's here because the active unseen hand of God intentionally created it and continues to sustain it. I'm not talking today about how God did that. That's an important issue, but that's a topic for another day. But rather today, simply saying, the fact that the world exists, Psalms tells us, is God declaring himself glorious. Every moment of every day, what has been made is testifying to the one who made it. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. However old the earth is, and if you nudge the person sitting next to you, they probably have a different opinion about that than you do. And by the way, that's okay. There's nothing in the Bible that says this is how old the earth is. So I'm thankful this part of the country, Christians don't really fight about that very much. It's a silly thing to fight over. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. It's here. You are here. And God declares that what he's made says who he is. And he's glorious. However old the earth is, there has never been a single moment in which God was not speaking through what has been made. Theologians, if you pull off a big book that talks about theology, they'll call this general revelation. And by that they mean general revelation is the way in which God generally makes himself known to all people everywhere, through what has been made. General revelation is purposeful. It declares that God is glorious, as Psalm 19 says. It's also continuous. It never stops. As Psalm 19 says, it's also universal. Look at verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, referring to what has been made, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. There is not one square inch of the globe that doesn't testify God is glorious from the fact that space goes on forever to that little ladybug I mentioned a moment, both proclaim God is good, God is glorious. How often we miss that. If you wanna hear from God in 2016, quite simply I would say something you probably didn't come expecting to hear today. Go outside, walk around and enjoy what God has made. You can do that even in the desert. Amen? David, the author of this psalm, hones in especially on one aspect of God's creation, the sun. We're familiar with it. Look at verse 4, the last half. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Of all the people in the world that know that, it's us. (laughs) There's no reason to think that David, the author of this psalm, who wrote it literally 3,000 years ago, had the kind of knowledge of the sun that we have today. He didn't have the scientific knowledge that we have. He didn't know that the sun is primarily made of hydrogen and helium. He probably had no idea about that. He didn't know that it has the power to burn for billions more years, but there will come a time when it runs out. He probably didn't know that. He didn't know that it takes light from the sun eight minutes to get here. So the, the light outside right now left the sun eight minutes ago. That's how far away it is. That's incredible. David probably didn't know any of that, but he knew that the sun declares the glory of God. He saw the sun as a daily voice of strength and joy and energy. Those images he used might be embarrassing to us, at least the first one, but it gives us a picture of joy. He says the sun is like a bridegroom. It's like a groom leaving the bedroom who has just enjoyed his wife for the very first time it's bursting forth with joy he says it's like an athlete who runs his course with joy creation testifies to the glory of God so again you probably didn't come expecting to hear this today but turn you, do you want to hear the voice of God this year that's something you desire then turn off Netflix and go outside and when you're outside put your stinking phone away and look around God is talking through what he has made. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying you're going to audibly hear the big booming voice of God through a talking tree. That's obviously not what he's saying. He's saying that the fact that the world exists, that we're here, that we have oxygen to breathe, that the sun will shine on us another day, that there's beautiful things to look at. All of that communicates at an unspoken level underneath to say, God is a glorious God. So save up some money and go see a new beautiful place you've never been to. Ask your GC to go hike up Camelback Mountain. Maybe two or three of you will make it. Take a picnic at a nearby park together. Take a Saturday and drive up to the Mogion Rim. Even the drive up there. It is beautiful. We live in a beautiful place because there's a beautiful God. Creation declares the glory of God. Now, what exactly is it saying? Well, this particular psalm doesn't really tell us. It just says that it's declaring the glory of God. But Romans chapter 1 says it very, very directly. We won't take the time to go there today and read it, but you might read it later today if you're not familiar with it. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says that God's eternal power and divine nature are revealed through what he's made. So, in other words, the Bible says by looking at what God has made, all people everywhere can know two things: that there is a God and that that God has always been and is powerful. So there is a God, so he exists, and he's eternal and he's powerful. All people everywhere So develop the habit of listening, enjoy God's voice in creation for it's God speaking. Take it in, enjoy it, God is speaking through what has been made. But make no mistake, you need more than that. You and I need more than to know that God exists and that He's powerful and He's always been. That isn't enough. That knowledge of God is sufficient to hold us accountable for rejecting Him. That's what Romans 1 tells, that tells us. But it's not enough to tell us the meaning of our lives. It's not enough to tell us how to be right with Him. It's not enough to tell us what's evil and what's good. It's not enough to tell us what to do with our money or our bodies or how to reconcile a relationship that's gone bad. None of those things will we learn through what God says in creation. Creation is insufficient. It does not tell us that the powerful creator is also a God of mercy and love and goodness and justice and forgiveness. You cannot learn that through enjoying nature. We need a more full knowledge of God. As powerful as creation's testimony of God is, it's not enough. It cannot save you. It's not enough to instruct us on how to live. It's not enough to free us from the things that enslave us. It's not enough to make us good coworkers this year or better friends or parents or spouses. And it's certainly not enough to get us through the trials and hardships that we will face this year that we know nothing about yet. Creation is an insufficient Declarer of the knowledge of God. It's good, but it's not enough. We need something more, something better. If we want to hear from God in 2016 in a sufficient way to know who He is and how we're to live, we need something more. We need a more complete source. Are you with me? Psalm 19 tells us what that source is. And it does it in a way that tells us creation is wonderful, it's amazing, enjoy it, but it's not enough. Because he's going to describe a different source of knowledge that's better, that's more complete. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Friends, God's revelation of himself in nature is glorious. But God's revelation of himself in scripture is even better. How does the Bible trump nature? Well, that's what the psalm just told us. It says, being perfect, the Bible revives the soul, meaning it gives us refreshment. It tells us everything that we need to know to know God and love God and follow God. Everything. It's not deficient in any way. It says that being sure and trustworthy The Bible can make us wise. It tells us being right, that the Bible gives us joy and confidence in everyday life. It tells us being pure, that the Bible enlightens our eyes. It it teaches us what's good and lovely, so that we'll learn to have an appetite for the things that are good for us. It tells us that it's clean, meaning that the Bible speaks to us with words that are pure, that are trustworthy, that we can count on, that we can depend everything on. Being true and righteous, the Bible warns us against sin. So to maybe say that a different way, Scripture trumps nature because nature tells us God exists and He's powerful, but it cannot tell us that God became a man and died for our sins. And that's knowledge we desperately need. Nature tells us God exists and He's powerful, but it cannot produce the joy of knowing God is our Father. Nature exists, nature tells us God exists and he's powerful, but it cannot serve as a life-giving encouragement when we're in difficulty. Nature exists, God, can you tell I haven't done this in a week? Uh, Nature exists because God exists and tells us he's here, he's powerful, he's wonderful, he's always been. But it doesn't tell us Sin is destructive and following God is life-giving. That knowledge, that speaking of God isn't there in nature in that way, but it is in the scriptures. As David thought about this, he became affected emotionally. When was the last time we as a church body read the scriptures, read the law even, the commandments of God and were overwhelmed with how good God is. The fact that that's a weird thought to us might tell us we're missing the goodness of God in the Bible. Look at verse 10. More to be desired are they, explicitly talking about the words of God, the commandments of God, the word of God. More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Let's be honest. Do we see the Bible that way? Better than gold? Sweeter than honey? Do we look at it like that? Do we see spending time in it, producing the rock-solid confidence In God and personal transformation that David seemed to have experienced. Do we sense as we sit with the scriptures that the God of the Bible is present and speaking? I hope so, because that's what's happening. When we're in the scriptures, that's what's taking place. Now, there's way more times than not that I personally don't get warm fuzzies when I'm reading and studying the Bible. Every morning in the scriptures is not some emotional high, but a steady diet of God's work, God's word, over a span of a life makes for gospel-centered, joyful living, doesn't it? Many, many, many of you have experienced that. That kind of diet of the scriptures is an acquired taste. It takes time. You've got to sit with the scriptures and learn how to hear from God. God especially in our context of information overload. But the Bible is the Word of God. Friends, spiritually, many of us tend to be anorexic or bulimic. If I could use those images that are a little shocking to us. Anorexic, what do I mean? We tend to starve ourselves. For some of us, the only Bible we ever get is the Bible we get in this room we're not going to develop the experiences and the appetite that David's talking about like that. We want to have things instantly, and the Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible's more of a crock pot than it is a microwave. It takes a while to heat up. You've got to prepare in advance. You've got to develop the right tools. You've got to plug it in. You've got to wait. Why? Because the Bible isn't simply after behavior change. The Bible is about God speaking to the heart and transforming the heart and that takes time. We read it sometimes to look at ourselves, not at God and then we pretend to understand things we don't so that we won't be thought of as immature spiritually when in reality the person sitting next to us is probably doing the exact same thing. We think we don't need to hear from God, so we don't spend time in his word. I can get by just fine on my own today, God. Of course we don't say that. But friends, if we're not spending daily time in his scriptures, listening to his voice, that is what we're saying, whether we express it outwardly or not. So friend, you may be a starving Christian, Others of us are more on the other end. We're more bulimic. We tend to fill our minds with the Bible, but then we don't do anything with it. We take in, take in, take in, take in, take in, and then it just sits there. We don't let it digest and translate into energy and action. It's information, but it's information we're amassing, not the voice of God that we're enjoying. Have you been there? Just taking in, but not letting it get digested and soaked in and taking in those nutrients of God's word in order that we could be changed. Christian, the longer you do that, the more you'll find it not penetrating your heart. And you can become deaf to the voice of God even while you're taking in a lot of the Bible. It's really weird how that can happen. Christian, you may be gorged on the word but not using it for good. But in either case, or maybe you fall in some other camp, God is a God of grace. There's a new way to start today, because God's mercies are new every morning. Amen? Amen, Amen is a weird word. Some of you hear it, and you think, golly, those people are bizarre. It just, it just means, it's a word used in the scriptures. Sometimes the, Books of the Bible end with it or prayers when it, it means truly or let it be so. It's a way of saying, "It's yes, I'm with you. I hear you. I want to do that. God's mercies are new. There's grace to start again because the word is ultimately a person. John 1 says, the word became flesh. And as we sang this morning, he dwelt among us, lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, rose again in victory. Why? So that we who became rejectors of God, not listening to his word, can have the very life of God in us, learning afresh and anew to hear the voice god christian i want to challenge you to consider this year psalm 19 as a passage that would drive your life when david considered the fact that god revealed himself in scripture so vividly far more clearly than creation god's voice moved him to do a couple of things and the passage ends by telling us what those things are there's three of them Let me read these last couple of verses and see if you catch them. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant, referring to himself. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Verse 14, very famous verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As David considered, God gloriously shows himself in creation, but God even more clearly, explicitly, directly, helpfully declares himself in his commandments in the scriptures. David said, I have a threefold response. Seeing his sin, he asked God to forgive him. Friends, when we hear the voice of God, that's our first response. It's because we recognize God is a pure God, a holy God, a perfect God. His words are good and they're trustworthy. We recognize ours are not. We are not. And so we repent. We ask God to forgive. And Christian, what happens when we do that? God forgives every single time. Second, he prayed for protection against the arrogant disregard of God's word shown in arrogant sins. That's what he was getting at when he said, God, keep me from presumptuous sins. Keep me from the arrogance of not listening to you and the sins that follow because I don't. And then third, he prayed that what he said and concentrated on would be acceptable and pleasing to God. Friends, we need a daily dose of gospel truth because hearing from God is our greatest need. When you came in today, you sat on a bookmark or perhaps you noticed it and didn't sit on it. Um, Abby, is there one there you could hand me? I thought I had one up here. Thanks, darling. Um, On the front of this card that's very bright, it will glow in the dark. Everybody want to try Uh, matches the uh, content and logo that we used for our prayer series last year. On the front side is some prayer directives. God really spoke to us as a church family through the Lord's Prayer last year, didn't He? You want to make that your habit of prayer. Here's the things we talked about. Great little reminder of ways we can gather together and pray in this room, in... Uh, are places of work, home, dorm, apartment, um, all in Starbucks, ways that we can gather and remember and pray together. On the opposite side is something you haven't seen, so this would be new to you today. Um, I want to encourage you to consider taking on a daily plan of reading the Bible. There's lots of different plans out there. Uh, Many of them are good. Uh, This one is not broken down into days and it's not a one-year plan. And I'll explain why those two things. My experience with friends, myself, other brothers and sisters in Christ is that most of the plans out there to read the Bible through in a year don't end up helping, they end up discouraging. Because if you miss a day, then you're off a day. And if you miss two or three, then what do you end up doing? Screw it. I'm not going to bother with the whole thing. I don't mess with it at all. Right? I think it might be more helpful to think in terms of weeks and not days. And then in a multi-year approach instead of a single year. The ultimate goal isn't to get through the Bible. It's for the Bible to get through to you. And so it may help to go slower The main goal isn't to get tons of content, but to actually hear from God. Now there's benefit to just going through the Bible in great chunks, and that's a a thing that is wonderful to do. I'm not trying to discourage it, but it may be more helpful, particularly if you've never done this, if you've never had a plan through which to get the Bible into your life, than to do something like this. Uh, We didn't come up with this. um, One of the Authors we recommend here frequently, Tim Chester wrote this, and this is the first year in a three-year plan that if you chose to take it on, would get you all the way through the Old Testament once and through the New Testament twice in a span of three years. That is a reasonable goal for all of us. I'm an incredibly slow reader, I'm not very smart, I struggled in school. I have to read something over and over and over and over for me to remember it at all. Uh, and I can do this. I'm confident all of you are smarter than me, you're brighter than me, you read faster than me, and God loves you ever bit as much as he loves me. And he wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. So our encouragement to you today is to take this plan and read it. Start today, start tomorrow, We're only, what what is today, the third? so We're about halfway through the first week. You have the rest of the time in the week. Read a couple of chapters a day. Spend time with God. Listen to Him. Now, why this plan? Because God speaks through His Word. God is a speaking God. God wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you who he is, what he's like, what he's done for you, what he's doing today, what you can count on. What if you do it in his strength will be a blessing to you? What if you don't do it will harm you? Who he is, what his character's like, what he's done for you in Christ? God is a speaking Now, a couple suggestions as you consider going about that. And uh, this one would be the biggest, maybe most important thing I would say, is don't try to do this in isolation. Choose, ask somebody in your gospel community or a friend, maybe somebody that's discipling you or you're discipling. Maybe somebody that you go to a connection class with, you live near, you sit by in this room. Maybe somebody that's not even a Christian that might consider reading the Bible with you. Ask someone to read with you. Don't do it alone. There's tremendous benefit to reading the Bible in community. Second, I would suggest that when you fail then you simply try again. When you fail try again. Some of us in this room are naturally disciplined people. We thrive on getting things done. Most of us Routine and discipline makes us want to vomit. That's okay. Don't get discouraged about that. Don't not try because you think you're going to fail. Because, guess what? You're going to fail. You will miss a week. You will get sick and puke your guts out. You will have a sick family member that you've got to take care of. You'll get overwhelmed at work. You'll get behind at school. Something will happen this week that you don't read your Bible in an entire week probably. Probably. Guess what? God's mercies are new. Start again. Simply pick up at that week and keep going. And then I want to encourage you to read, to hear from God, and be refreshed in the gospel. There's a way of reading the Bible that's simply reading the words on the page and getting smarter about particular content. There's another way to read the Bible and meet with God. And friend, I wanna be honest with you, the, the latter takes more time. If you wanna be a person that is accustomed to the voice of God, it's gonna take something from you. It's gonna mean you have to give time to it. It's more of a crock pot than a microwave. We live in a time of knowledge overload. We are inundated with information. Much of it is the same stuff coming from multiple sources that we hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over. over. What if we put our, our phones down? And if, if this isn't a habit you have, I want to encourage you, you can start with a little bit of time. Take, take an, an alarm clock, set a timer on your phone and say, tell me in 20 minutes or tell me in 30 minutes. And then try to set time aside. Let it go. And just sit with the scriptures and pray and listen to God. At the, in the beginning... That will be extremely difficult. You will think of everything except God. The silence will be deafening because we're so accustomed to noise. But, friends, that noise is crowding out the voice of God. The thing you need the most, the thing we need the most, the thing I need the most, is to hear God. And God speaks. He's not a quiet God, and he speaks through his word. If you're not in the habit of listening to God, David, one of the most successful, wise, wealthy, pleasure-seeking men who ever lived, said, God speaks through what God has made, so enjoy it. But God speaks even more through his word. So listen and obey. The late philosophy professor and brilliant author, Dallas Willard, said our failure to hear God's voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear him. That we want to hear it only when we think we need it. Friends, we need to hear from God every day. We need to be well acquainted with His voice. God is a speaking God, so let's be a listening people. We pray with me. God, I for one would confess that it is easy for me to get up and go through the day often spending my time on good things things that are not overtly sinful or evil or harmful but to do them in a hurry to do them unthoughtfully to do them with little consideration to who you are to what you've done who I am because of who you are? Perhaps there's another brother or sister here today who would say the same. Father, thank you that you have not left us without your word. The most horrific thing we could imagine is that there would be A God to which we are accountable, but whom does not speak to us in grace and truth. Thank you that you are a speaking God. We pray that this year, we pray that today, would be a day that we hear you. And Father, would you direct, literally, I pray... A big prayer. I pray every single person in this room would consider what Psalm 19 has said and would start afresh and anew, would take on this plan or some other plan, would communicate to somebody else, I'm going to read the scriptures, would you do it with me? And then would thoughtfully, intentionally, patiently, humbly, expectantly Read the scriptures to hear from you. Forgive us, God, for rejecting your word. Thank you that you have forgiven us for that. Help us listen carefully and obey passionately. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.